Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. It is Monday, June 28th, Year of Our Lord 2021. And uh, this is episode 41. So I want to start off um, by talking about um, something that we also talked about last week, um, but that's still been on my mind, and I, I think I got further revelation um, on the issue of gambling. So um, I was sitting thinking about this issue, and, and I was really focused on the word rich. Like, like, what does the Bible mean by the word rich? And um, I guess I misquoted a verse last time. I, I, I don't know why I think this is a verse, but um, it, I stated that there's a verse, I thought that it was in Proverbs, that says, um, those who seek to get rich quick bring about swift destruction. And um, after I did the podcast, I, I tried to look that verse up and I couldn't find it. And so I, I don't know why I thought that was a verse. Maybe it's in like a one of the um, ulterior versions, um, but it's it's not scripture. It's not King James. It's it's not in the authorized scriptures. So I was kind of perplexed by that. I, I must have seen that somewhere in, in, in my past, and it just kind of stuck. Um, but there are. Um, Similar themes and ideas uh, produced throughout the scriptures about uh, uh, about being money hungry or focused on money or focused on riches, and so I was thinking about like what what does the Bible mean when it says rich? Because like when we think about rich, you know, a person that's rich or a person who's seeking to get rich, we think of like a millionaire. You know, it's it's kind of this ethereal, um, like mystical idea it's not really a tangible um amount it's it's not there's not a set figure that we can point to and say yes uh at at $200,000 a year you're considered rich or at you know $135,000 a year you're rich you know there's no x amount of dollars that's definitively identified as rich. So we all have this kind of idea in our mind. And I'll bet like to a guy who's got a million dollars in the bank, you know, he probably doesn't see himself as rich. He probably sees 10 million as rich. Whereas somebody, you know, um, in, in, in the deserts of, of Afghanistan living in, in tents, um, they would think that a person making $30,000 a year is rich. Um, so it's it's kind of this uh, relative term that we don't really have a definition for, and so we all we all have this just idea in our minds, like like we think of people with mansions and fancy cars and 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 flying you know nice clothes and flying on private jets. We think of that as rich, um, but is that really what the, the the idea that the the Bible conveys as being rich? Is that what the Bible says is rich? And so I, I wanted to, like, that was just sitting in my mind. I, I, I was just focused on that. Like, what does the Bible mean when it says rich? Because although I couldn't find that verse about uh, those who seek to get rich quick, there are verse, there is a verse that says um, wealth gotten by vanity um, diminishes. And gambling certainly is vanity. It's, it's an, vain means empty. It's it's an empty thing. There's no tangible resource. There's no, there's no labor. There's no, you're not producing anything. It's, it's an empty thing. And so wealth gotten through those means diminishes. 
And of course, we, we talked about the love of money being the root of all evil. And First uh, Timothy talks about riches being a snare. Uh, many pierce themselves uh, through with sorrows while seeking after it. Um, so there, there's cautions about it. And so um, I went and I looked up what the word rich means in the Bible, and it just means enough, I think, is, is what the definition was, enough. And so the idea conveyed there is that if you have more than what you need, um, that is considered riches. You know, the Bible talks about our daily bread and to be focused on today and, and not to store up uh, treasures, you know, and, and build storehouses for tomorrow. Um, so, so if you have more than your daily allotment, if you have more than what is needed on a day-to-day -day basis, I think biblically you're considered rich. And so with that idea in mind, like, like almost every single person you know, um, is, at least in America, uh, is rich. You know, we have an abundance. If, if you just look around your home and think about how many pairs of clothing you have, um, you know, I've, I've got enough clothes to, 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 uh, clothe a dozen people, you know, and I've got, uh, X amount of months worth of bills in the bank account. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead several months and, and some people are ahead years, you know, they could, they could be without work for years and, and, and still be able to cover all their bills, and I look at the book, I have a, a rich abundance of books in my home, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of books that I've purchased over the years and, and food. I've got food to last me for, you know, um, two months. I've got just, there's an abundance of riches. And so when I started thinking about that in relation to gambling, about this focus on riches, I realized that there's this really, really fine line. And um, I had mentioned that I don't think gambling itself is necessarily sinful. Um, it's, it's all about heart motive. I, I don't think you can point to the activity and say, yes, that is a sin. I think um, it is a, a platform that presents an opportunity um, for sinful things to develop in your heart. Um, the love of money, a, a desire for gain by vain means and things like that. Um, so, so there's a potential for sin in it, but the act itself, I don't see as a, as a sinful thing. But, but here is, is where the clarity came as I thought about this. I started thinking about how razor thin that line is um, before you pass over into sin. If you're gambling just out of sheer innocency, just purely for fun, it's just a game. It's like going to the amusement park or going to the theater. If you're just, you know, you, there's no thought about the money. You don't care about the win. You don't care about the loss. It's just, Hey, let's have some fun. And, 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 you know, I, this is the, how I'm going to have that fun. It requires this money. And if that's your, you know, if, if you can test your heart and know that it's just purely to have some fun, I don't think there's any sin in it, but the danger is, is, um, because money is involved, it is very easy to set your focus on the money on the riches, on the gain, in which case I think it would become sinful. It then uh, becomes, or at least at the very least, a very unwise and unhealthy thing to do. Um, 
So like, and, and, and like the moment you win, um, a bet, um, there's a tendency to think, to, to focus on that gain that you've just made. Like I just got this gain, you know, I can now put that into my bank account. And so just, just to be transparent here in the times that I've gambled, um, initially it was at a bachelor party and it was just for fun. And, and so I, I thought there was innocency there and I thought, well, you know, anytime, if I decide to go to the casino, it's, it's a innocent act. I, I can just do it for fun. But then I realized, um, you know, if I ever won anything, I started thinking about my bank account. I started thinking, man, I can put that into savings. And, you know, I started like my mindset went to, hey, I want to get my savings to a certain amount. You know, I, 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 I the way I do my savings, I have several different um, small savings accounts um, that I dedicate to certain, you know, particular things. And so I started thinking, man, if I can get this one to where I want it, and, and then I can focus on this other one and get it to where I want it. And so like I, in, in my head, I was justifying myself. Like, I'm not caring about money. It's just, it would be like, if I could win, I can, I can get this little excess, uh, comfort. I can get this, 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 um, um, security for the future. And I was blinded to the fact that that is riches. My focus then became riches because in my mind, I'm thinking riches is this, is, is this, you know, millionaire status, this, this X amount of dollars. And I wasn't realizing that any attempt at, at enough at having gain, you know, at having more than what you need, um, is riches. And that's where my focus was. And so I saw how dangerous that is to, to how easy it is to slip from what is fun. And, and, and what I would say is innocent and, and without sin, if it's just a game, you know, I don't, it's no different than I think going to the, um, the circus and, and, you know, paying a dollar to throw darts at the balloons or throwing rings at the, you know, at the, uh, at the vases or, you know, or, uh, playing a claw machine or anything. It's a very similar thing. You know, it's, it's just, if you're doing it just for fun, there's no real focus on, on gain, on, on monetary security or, or an abundance of money, then it's an innocent thing. But the moment you start thinking about increase, the moment you start thinking about having more than enough, you know, then you've crossed into that riches. And then, like I say, the proverb says that riches uh, or wealth uh, gained by vanity will, will soon be diminished. It's, it's, it's at the very least a foolish endeavor and it, and it can ensnare your heart. Um, where then, like, instead of just trusting in the Lord for the future and, and just trusting what the Lord provides on a day-to-day -day basis, you start trusting in a bank account. You start looking, you know, to secure yourself financially. Um, so there's a real danger there. Um, and so that, that's what I was thinking about as I left that podcast. I was thinking, you know, there's, I had mentioned, you know, um, seeking riches is, is, is wrong and a love of money is wrong and the potential addiction is wrong and, and not being a wise steward of what God has provided for you is wrong. And then after I left that podcast, I started thinking, man, it, it's, it, it, the idea of riches is not this, um, um, abundant wealth idea that we have the riches, according to the scriptures is having more than your daily need. 
And and so if that's our attempt is to, to gain more than our daily need, then we're focused on riches. Our heart is set on riches. And, and so that becomes problematic, um, foolish and dangerous and destructive, um, if not sinful. You know, I, 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 again, I don't know where the line is where it crosses into like a sinful love of money. And when it's just a foolish endeavor that that the scriptures say will be diminished. It's, it's you know, not using the same word as destructive, diminished, like I, I previously thought the scripture said, but but diminished. Um, so it's just, it's it's probably not a wise thing, you know, it's to do. Like it, it, I would say like if your buddy's having a bachelor party or you're having a poker game at home with your friends and, and you can test your heart and know that there is no thought of gain or riches, you're just doing it for fun, um, but again, you would have to you carefully test your own heart. Um, I, I don't see any sin in that. But the, the moment it crosses over into something being about money, it becomes a dangerous thing. And so it's just a real dangerous ground to walk on. Um, you know, there's a lot of Christians who think they can have a drink or two. Um, and I would put this in the same category. I think drinking is a sin. I think I can show in the scriptures that... that uh, we're supposed to avoid fermented alcohol, uh, fermented wine. We're not even supposed to look at it, um, let alone drink it. Um, so I think I could show that in the scriptures. But for those who aren't persuaded of that and think, oh, it's okay to have a drink or two, I think that's the same boat. Um, if there is no sin in, in having a drink or two, if there's no sin in alcohol in itself, um, just like I, I'm saying there's no sin in gambling itself, it's a dangerous ground um, where you can very, very easily and even unaware step into sin because drunkenness um, is most definitely a sin. And, and even those who think that they can drink see that and recognize that. And so like with the today's alcohol content, uh, being, you know, at the minimum, like a 3.5 or whatever in a, in a, a gas station beer, um, up to like, you know, 50% or whatever in some, some shots, um, you're like, where's that line of drunkenness? Where do you cross the line from just having a drink into becoming drunk? Like, cause drunk is a, again, a, a term that's not, clearly defined in numerical form it doesn't say x amount of drinks or or x amount of blood alcohol content is drunk not according to the bible standards it's just a, a term that's used for intoxication uh, a vague you know there's no numerical standard in the same way that riches don't have a, an x amount of numerical standard it's this dangerous ground where where you don't know when you've crossed over over the line where you don't know where you've proceeded too far and so in that case i would say doesn't and, and i'm speaking to myself here too because you know like i say i've i've gone to casinos i've i've done gambling before so it's like, it, 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 so I'm speaking to myself when I say this, but if you're going to walk on that dangerous ground, isn't that foolish? Isn't, isn't, even if it's not a sinful thing, it doesn't wisdom say, hey, this is ground where sin is present. And at any step, you can step off the path of wisdom into sin. 
and it's dark and it's blurry and you can't really tell where that step is. So isn't it foolish to even take any steps onto that path? It's, you know, if you see a sign, if it's, if it's pitch black out and you're walking on a trail and you see a sign that says a uh, deadly cliff ahead, but it doesn't say how far ahead and you can't see, does it make any sense to proceed beyond that sign? Uh, doesn't doesn't wisdom say, hey, I'm not even going to take one step in that direction because I can't see and I don't know the 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 exact distance where that cliff is. And so it is with 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 riches. And I guess for those who try to justify drinking, it would be with alcohol. Again, I would say that alcohol is a sin. And I think I can show that in the scriptures. Um, but I have brothers and sisters that would disagree with me. Um, but it's like it, 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 in either case, there's a sign there that says danger, um, sin ahead. So like, why do we even walk that way? Why even take any steps towards it? Um, so just uh, uh, some additional thoughts that I had on that that I just kind of was wrestling out um, after last week's podcast. Um, so another thing that I've been thinking about kind of loosely, um, not, not really seriously, although I did start to do a little research, um, on it through YouTube, just watching a few videos. And it's something I've thought about quite a bit in, in the past is, um, the theological idea of cessationism, uh, versus continuationism. And if you're not familiar with those terms, what it is, is that, um, there's a group of, uh, pastors, teachers, theologians uh, that would say that the uh, miracle gifts, um, specifically when, I, when I'm talking about this, I'm thinking about four particular things, uh, two, two administration gifts and two miracle gifts. I'm thinking about the position of apostleship, calling yourself an apostle, the position of prophet, calling yourself a prophet, um, and then the miracles of healing and the miracles of tongues. So that's what I'm thinking about. Um, there might be a few others mixed in with this, but, but a cessationist is a person who says those gifts ceased um, in the first century. Um, after we re received the Bible, after we had the, the full can of the scriptures, so after the apostles had written their letters and, and given us the scriptures, uh, those gifts were no longer necessary, and so they ceased, and, the, and they no longer exist. Um, a continuationist um, is just the opposite of that. The continuation says, no, those gifts never ceased. Those gifts are still in operation today. There's still get the gifts of healing and of tongues, and, and there's prophets and there's apostles. Um, so when I think about that idea, um, especially in relation to those four issues, I, I lean way more towards the cessationist side uh, than I do the continuationist side. Like if it's if it's a if it's a if it's a plumb line, um, cessationism on one side, continuationism on the other. I'm eighty percent or more towards the cessationism. The only thing that prevents me from going full cessation is that I don't want to limit God. I'm not going to say that God doesn't perform miraculous healings. And I think maybe like cessationists wouldn't make that argument either. They would just say there's no appointed person that has the gift of healing. 
uh, God can still do supernatural healings, and there's no like pe there's no person that has the gift of tongues. Um, although God could still perform a miracle of tongues if he desired. Um, so if that's the case, if that's how we're going to define cessationism, then I would be in that camp. Um, and, 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 and here's why, um, especially in relation to these four points. With the apostles, uh, there, there's people out there that refer to themselves as apostle. And um, there, there's certain churches where they say this is, instead of having a pastor or a bishop, they refer to him um, or her as apostle. And um, the scriptures state that the apostles formed the foundation of the church, along with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. I can't remember where that verse is. Maybe like Ephesians, um, uh, like two or three or something like that, I think. But but basically, the the apostles' um, purpose was to lay the foundation of the church. The church is now laid. The, the church exists. The church body has been produced. It's the, the foundation is here. So there's no longer a need for the apostles. Um, so, so that would be my first point. The second point would be, and this is probably even more convincing, is that um, an apostle was clearly identified in the scriptures as somebody who had um, physically seen Jesus with their own eyes. They had to have been present during his earthly ministry. Um, when Judas um, betrayed Jesus and then hung himself, there was an open position, so to speak. Um, as, as the 12th apostle. And uh, in the book of Acts, it describes how, how the other apostles went about trying to determine who would take Judas's place. And their requirement for apostleship was somebody that had been with Jesus from the beginning of the ministry. It had to be somebody that had seen Jesus, that had been present with him. That was the requirement of an apostle. Even Paul um, who was converted later on and became an apostle, had a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus. He had seen Jesus, had learned from Jesus. Um, so that was the qualification of an apostle. Um, that and the fact that the foundation of the church has been laid disqualifies anybody from being an apostle nowadays. Um, the, the foundation is laid so that gift is no longer needed. And, and secondarily, uh, there is nobody alive today who has seen Jesus face to face in the flesh. Um, it, it has not occurred. So for a person to call themselves an apostle um, is um, arrogant. It's, it's presumptuous. It's interesting that, that people always give themselves high-ranking titles. You know, nobody ever uh, says, oh, I was called to be this lowest of the low, this unseen prayer warrior. It's always, oh, look at me. I'm an apostle. I'm, I'm, I'm a high-ranking bishop, and, and I'm a high-ranking prophet or prophetess. You know, they give themselves these big titles. Um, but, but they're liars and the, 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 the ministry of apostleship does not exist. So in that case, I would say that I'm 100% a cessationist as far as a prophet goes. Um, again, th this is one of those words where it would be hard to define because I think a prophet is just somebody who speaks the word of God. So if that's how we're going to define it, um, then anybody who reads the scriptures 
uh, out loud is prophesying. Um, so a pastor who reads the scriptures. However, that, that's not what's meant by prophet in many of these charismatic circles. Um, what they mean is that somebody has a, an extra biblical word from God, uh, an, an extra biblical um, uh, exhortation or teaching or doctrine or guidance for the church body as a whole or some um, uh, prediction about the fu- future. Um, that, that's basically what people mean by prophet today. And, and, and that's nonsensical. The reason for that is, uh, the scriptures say that in the past, uh, God spoke through, um, the, the, the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken through his son. So his son, uh, was the final prophet. His son was the end. Um, and of course, those that his son empowered through the Holy Spirit to, to provide his word to us, the canon, the Bible, um, but, but Jesus was the end of that. Um, he was the final spokesman for God, the father. He spoke the words of God. Um, in the past, God spoke through prophets. Now he speaks through his son. Um, so that's the first point. The second point is that the canon is closed. The scriptures are complete. Um, God has stated at least three times in the scriptures, don't add, don't take away from my word, don't change or alter my word. Um, and the letters that we have in the New Testament, the Old Testament is provided to us by the Jews because uh, they were provided, uh, they were um, uh, uh, appointed to be the oracles of the Old Testament. Uh, I think that says that in Peter. Um, so, so the Old Testament was provided to us by the Jewish people, and that's done. The New Testament uh, was given to us by Jesus Christ's apostles. Again, those that had seen and walked with him, um, or those that were direct disciples of those apostles, that sat at the feet of these apostles and, and wrote their words down, so that we have the closed canon. Um, that was done after the, the first century. Uh, those people were gone. The eyewitnesses were gone. The letters were ceased. We have the full canon of scriptures, the authoritative word of God. It's not to be added to or taken away from. God has spoken through his son and through his word, and that's it. Any additional um, uh, proclamation of the word of God would be a violation of the commands of scripture to not add or take away. The canon is closed. If somebody stands up and says, I have a prophecy from the Lord, and, and if they're speaking, if they're saying they are speaking for the Lord, then, then that word is authoritative and binding. And why wouldn't we add that to the scriptures then? I heard R.C. Sproul say that, and it made sense. If what that prophet, so to speak, is saying is actually the words of God and is authoritative and binding on the church, then we might as well add it to the scriptures, right? Uh, but I don't think a prophet would say that, but, but that's what they're proclaiming. Anybody who stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, and they then don't quote scripture is in error. They're speaking their own heart. They're, they're deceived by their own heart. Um, and I'm not saying that the Lord um, doesn't guide us and, and, and give us an unction, a prompting, that he doesn't minister to us and direct us in our own personal lives, but he's not producing any um, uh, doctrine. He's not producing any teaching that, that we can then, you know, say, hey, I have a word from the Lord and this is binding. Or, and we can't make any future uh, declarations uh, that the God is not revealing anything outside the counsel of his word. 
Um, so in that sense, I would say, I would also say I am um, a cessationist in the in the realm of of profit. I don't believe apostles exist anymore, and I don't believe prophets exist anymore under that charismatic definition of the word prophet. If we define prophet as somebody who proclaims the word of God, then I would say yes, anybody who preaches the scriptures um, is prophesying. Um, as far as healings go, um, I, this is this is where I would uh, deviate. Um, a little away from cessationism, where I wouldn't be a hundred percent cessationist, where I would I would start to go more towards the middle of that line, but I would still lean heavily on cessationism, because um, I I don't believe that that anybody is out there um, with a a big public ministry of healing. Um, when you see the the TV evangelists um, and so called preachers. Uh, throwing their jacket at people and waving their hands and knocking people over. That's nonsensical witchcraft. It's hypnotism. There's nobody really being healed. Um, that, that type of healing is, is nonsense. It's not happening. Um, but I'm not going to say that healing doesn't happen. Um, and, and then I think a lot of the cessationists would say, well, then we need to define what a miracle healing is. Because they would say, like, if we pray for a person to receive healing from cancer and they go to the doctor and that cancer's gone, I don't think they would define that as a miracle. I would. I would say that that's pretty miraculous. That That's a gift of healing. The Lord has healed that person. Um, if, if, if I think we can pray for people to be better, to be healthy, um, with the caveat that we pray if it's the Lord's will, because sometimes the Lord's will and wise and holy counsel is for a sickness, for a disability, because it's going to produce character and holiness in that individual, and so it's needed. Um, but as as far as like, can the Lord heal? Absolutely. Uh, you know, if somebody's sick, they're supposed to have the elders of the church anoint them and lay hands on them and pray for them. So um, I'm coming up on a break here. I'll, I'll pick up this thought on the other side. Just stick with me. Hey, welcome back to the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. Uh, we've been talking about the issue of cessationism versus continuationism, uh, specifically in the realm of healing. And I was explaining that I do believe that the Lord um, can and, and, and does heal. Like there, there's mercy in the Lord that if, if, if somebody is sick or, or injured or has some sort of disease, we can certainly pray um, and believe that the Lord can heal that person. Um, <clears throat> I don't believe that it's always his will to heal, heal people. I believe that in the providence, in the wise providence of God, that he has purposes for certain sicknesses and diseases and that anything that occurs to you is meant uh, to produce holy character and, and wisdom in you. And so we should pray, Lord, your will be done. You know, it's I think... Uh, is it Joni Erickson Tata? That's the quadriplegic. I, I think that's who it is. Um, she says that that she wouldn't want anything else because this this uh, disability uh, from from I believe a, a diving accident in a pool um, has drawn her closer to the Lord. 
So she has learned to love her disability. And, and the Lord can use that. The Lord can use cancer. The Lord can use um, uh, illnesses and, and, and injuries and disabilities to produce holy character in us, to produce patience and long-suffering and, and to draw us nearer to Him, uh, to cause us to enter into the prayer closet more, to be more dependent upon Him. So there are good things um, that disease and, and disabilities and injuries can produce. Uh, but I do believe that we can also pre pray for healing and, and that the Lord will um, sometimes heal if that's his will. So I don't believe that that healing has ceased. I, I believe that that healing can and, and more than likely does occur. I, I, I can't say that I've ever experienced it, but I've heard testimonies of people who have experienced that, and I have no reason to doubt them. Um, so, but I, I do, um, think that if, if, if we're going to look at healing as a position, as, as, as a role that somebody has, that somebody has the gift of healing, uh, like, like Peter did, you know, where he could lay hands on people and heal them, or even his shadow, uh, would heal people or, or his clothing, you know, would heal people, um, I would say that, that he had the gift of healing. He was appointed as a healer. Um, I, I don't think that exists today. I've, you know, I've never seen it. The ones that we see are frauds, uh, the ones on TV and, and the pretenders. Um, Todd White is known for going out and, and supposedly healing people's back, uh, by stretching out one leg that's supposedly shorter than the other. Uh, but that's an illusion. It's trickery. It's, it's where the phrase pulling your leg came from. You know, I'm just doing a trick. Um, so, so it's deceptive. It's, it's, it's wicked. It's, it's an illusion. Um, there's uh, psychosomatic uh, hypnotism that's done where, where if you lay hands on a person's back and say, do you feel that tingling? Uh, their brain, like you can do that to yourself. Put your hand on your arm and say, do you feel that tingling? And if you focus long enough, you'll convince yourself that you feel a tingling. And so we're, we're, we're allowing ourselves to be influenced by thought and 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 it's all just an illusion. We trick ourselves uh, through through hypnotism and 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 the power of suggestion. So that's what you see on TV. It's and and it's just it's deception. It's manipulation. It's hypnotization. It's it's uh, it's witchcraft. It's 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 wicked. It's it's not real. Um, so that's where I would lean on the on the issue of healing. Um, as far as what what. As tongues go, um, I don't believe that what is done in the charismatic churches and, and is called tongues is actually what the Bible is referring to as tongues. Um, if you were to go into a, a charismatic church and you hear people um, speaking, um, there's no real polite way to say this, but you hear them speaking what sounds like gibberish. A lot of times you'll hear it sounds like you know that kind of stuff um that is a nonsensical uh gibberish that that's not tongues uh when the bible speaks of tongues i believe it's referring to actual languages the word tongues just means languages it's referring to real um identifiable languages uh, and the reason I believe that is in, in the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost, uh, when Peter spoke in tongues, it says it, it specifically lists like eight, nine, ten, whatever it is, different languages uh, 
uh, human um, geographical cultural languages that that people spoke and and people heard it in their own language. So if if the the biblical gift of tongues was done in your presence, you ought to hear it in your natural language. You ought to hear English um, if you speak English. And when I go, when I hear those charismatics, I don't hear English. I hear what's considered, what I would say is gibberish. It's, it's nonsensical. And so I would say that is not the gift of tongues. Um, secondarily, um, Paul gave us specific instructions in 1 Corinthians 14 um, that we are not to speak tongues in church. He says that if you do, um, non-believers and young believers um, will walk in and think you're lunatics. Uh, hearing everybody speaking in different languages, they'll think it's insane. Uh, they'll, it says that they'll think you're barbarians. And um, so Paul warns, you know, don't do this in the church. You know, he, he says, uh, keep it to yourself, basically. Um, so if a person does believe that that charismatic... Um, I don't know what a polite way to say that is. Uh, um, people probably get offended at the word gibberish. Uh, um, um, utterings, I guess I'll say. If people were to walk into a, a charismatic church and, and hear those utterings, uh, they're, they're going to think it, it, it's barbaric. And so if you believe that those utterings are the gift of tongues, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says that you're supposed to keep that to yourself. You know, if in your own prayer closet, uh, you think that somehow you're edified through those utterings, um, then that's your own private business between you and the Lord. But it's not supposed to be done uh, where unbelievers or young believers uh, might hear it. Uh, 1 Corinthians specifically says that. Um, so I would argue, uh, A, what's being done in, in many of the churches across this land is not the gift of biblical tongues. And B... Even if it was, they're in disobedience uh, to the scriptural teachings on the usage of tongues. Um, some people would say, "Oh, but 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 Paul said that you know if I speak in 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 angels' language, and we're speaking in angels' language." No, you read that in context. Paul is using a hypothetical. He's saying, you know, even if I spoke in angels' tongues, he's not saying this is. You can't then just use some sort of uh, uttering uh, that that has no. Uh, perceivable identification and say, oh, it's angels' tongues. You can't do that. You can't make that claim. That's 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 not. Um, it's just not truthful. It's it's not what it is. Um, so I would say that that when it comes to that, uh, I would say that that has ceased as well. However, I won't put God in the box and say that He can't do it. What I believe tongues to be is a miraculous ability to speak a foreign language. Um, if, if you were in Mexico and the Holy Spirit moved upon you to preach the gospel to the people there, but you don't speak Spanish, and all of a sudden you're preaching and everybody's hearing you preach in Spanish, I believe that would be the gift of tongues. That would be a miraculous um, gift of tongues. And I'm not saying that God can't do that. I've heard a gentleman uh, testify to that, that he witnessed to somebody in Spanish, and he didn't know how to speak Spanish. I think that is the gift of tongues. So while I would say that, that um, I, I don't think that's prevalent, just like, like uh, healings or, or common 
um, I'm not going to say that it can't happen. You know, so I, so if, if a cessationist is to go that far to say those things can't happen, I would have to disagree with them. I would say, I'm not willing to say that. I'm not willing to say that God can't heal or that God can't produce a miraculous ability to speak a foreign language that you never learned before. Um, I, I, so that's why I say I'm, uh, if, if I'm on a spectrum with continuationism on one side, cessationism on the other, um, 80% cessationists. Unless they define that and say that they're saying the the position of healer and the position of tongue speaker don't exist. Then I could agree with that, I think. I'm still not entirely sure. I'm still not going to try to, I'm still not going to uh, be dogmatically 100% because I, I don't want to close that door and say, no, the Lord can't ever do these things. Or, you know, perhaps there is somebody with the gift of healing in some third world country that we'll never hear about. You know, I don't know. Um, so I'm not going to put God in that box and say, no, these things don't happen. Um, I, I, you know, like I say, I, I don't believe that there's, there's apostles today because there are no eyewitnesses to the, to the, to the, to the human Jesus Christ. There was nobody here during his ministry. So there's nobody that's qualified to be an apostle. And I don't think there's prophets because the canon is closed. God has spoken in these last days through his son and, and that is finished. You know, we, we have the word of God and it's complete and total. Um, so I would say that those roles have ceased. I, I would say that, that gifts of healing, um, can occur, although they're not, they're not commonplace, at least in, in, in my perspective and, and, from what I've heard of Christian culture, I don't know of anybody who knows somebody who's actually a healer that can lay hands on people and heal other than deceivers. Um, and, and, and tongues, like I say, I, I think tongues is just a miraculous ability to speak a foreign language. And I haven't seen that either, although I'm not willing to say it, it, it can't happen. So, um, in regards to cessationism versus continuationism, that, that's kind of where I land on this issue. It's still a, a work in progress, though. Like I say, I'm not really dogmatic on it. Um, I, I would take a dogmatic stance on the apostleship because I believe that's very clear. So I would say, no, there are no apostles. Um, but it's still something I'll, I'll probably think about often in my Christian walk. But um, anyways... Uh, the third and last thing that I wanted to talk about here today was um, just something I've been uh, pondering here the last two days, and not really deeply, just kind of out of curiosity, just something I've been thinking about peripherally, um, just on the, the surface level of my thoughts, not really going in too deep. But I think it's in Psalm 89, or, or Psalm something, might be 89, uh, there's a scripture that said, where God is talking, and he says, I have said, ye are gods. And he's talking to the, the, the people, the Jewish people, ye are gods. And Jesus quoted that in John chapter 10, uh, when the Jews accused him of blasphemy for saying that he was the son of God. Um, he said, he, basically Jesus was saying like, why do you call that blasphemy when your own scriptures say that ye are gods? And so I was, I was, it's a curious thing. Like, what is meant by that? That ye are gods. Uh, because we know, uh, well, there, there, there's, there's several aspects to this. One, I, I think Mormons would, would probably use this verse to try to justify their doctrine. 
that men can become gods. Um, the Mormon church believes that, that if, if you're a good Mormon and you do all the right things, that you'll become a god. That God the Father was previously just a man who did all the right things and attained godhood. Uh, same with Jesus, that, that you know he's, he's a lesser god than the creator god because he did the right things and attained godhood. Um, so I think they could point to this and say, see, it says you're gods, and that, that's what we're becoming. Um, I also think that um, the, the health and wealth prosperity preachers um, try to hold to this doctrine that we are little gods, that because we're created in his image, uh, we have the, the, the godhood in us, we have the deity in us, you know, we can speak things into existence and all that nonsense, we can name it and claim it. Uh, so this might be a verse that they cling to as well. Um, but th those things are heresies. What, what, what they're proclaiming is a heresy. Um, and, and forgive me if I'm, I'm messing up on, on the, the Mormon ideology there. I'm just, uh, going off of memory. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's what they believe, but, uh, from my understanding and from my study, that is accurate. Um, but, so, so that verse, it, I was thinking like, if I were to run into somebody and they would try to use that, how would I defend that? Cause the, cause it says clearly there it's, and it's God talking, God saying to the Jews, ye are gods. So what is meant by that? The word God there actually is Elohim, which is, is the name of God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, the Trinity. Um, it, it can be translated as angel or I think messenger or, or, um, uh, it, it conveys like a position of power and authority, I think. Um, so we could say, well, it's just saying that, that the Jews have a position of power. They have a position of authority. And that made me think of how God gave us dominion over the earth, which is kind of a, a godhood position. And, and we have a position of power and authority over the earth and, and over the, the rest of the creatures. Um, what it does not mean, and we can say this definitively, is that we are creator God. There is one God. The Lord, our God is one. You know, there is just one creator, one supreme being, one almighty, one authority. So that verse does not say that we be, we can become like him or we are like him. He is above us. You know, we are creation. We are, we are worms compared to him. He is the authority. So when it says ye are gods, it is not saying you are creator or you are the authority or you are the almighty. It is not saying that. Um, so what is it saying? Um, and I, I think like my initial instinct is to say that it's, it's talking about how, um, like I was saying with it, because we have dominion, because we have a position of authority um, over, over the earth and over creation. And because um, we're, we're his children, you know, we, we have an idea, we know him, you know, as the born again, people of God, we, we are, uh, his, his, um, we do not possess deity. We are not deity. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, but the Holy Spirit is not us. Um, so, there's a distinction that needs to be made there. It's just a just a, a perplexing verse that that's had me kind of just um, pondering a little bit throughout the the week here, or at least the last few days. Like, like what is meant by ye are gods? Um, 
And I, I think as of right now, I, I kind of stand on the idea that, that it just means we we have that dominion over the earth. We have that position uh, of power and authority over, over the rest of the creation. Um, so I, I think that's where I would stand. Uh, because like I say, we know if, if we were to define God, what does God mean? You know, creator, um, uh, authority, master, ruler, um, sovereign, uh, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing. We are not those things. You know, he has the ability to create out of nothing. We do not have that. We are not deity. You know, so so when it says you're gods, it is not saying we are deity. Uh, we know that much. Um, I think it's probably just saying that we, we have authority and power over the earth. Um, but anyways... Um, I'm going to wrap it up here. That, that's that been my thoughts throughout the week. And um, as always, I, I really appreciate you guys listening. I love you, and Lord willing, we'll talk to you next week.